Hello, and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. Last week, we began the strength of intimacy by exploring the balance of intimacy and autonomy, including how a strong sense of personal autonomy increases our ability to be emotionally intimate with others. When we're strongly grounded in me, we're more able to be empathic without getting flooded or overwhelmed. Today, we're continuing our discussion of intimacy by focusing on empathy, which allows us to tune into and understand other people. I'm joined today, as always, by Dr. Rick Hansen. To start us off, why do we need to be empathic in order to be intimate? Empathy fundamentally is the capacity to uh, have a sense of inside yourself or to imagine something of what it's like to be another person. Without that empathic imagination, which has elements in it that are very sensory uh, in our bodies, we would not be able to understand each other in a, in a deep kind of way. We would be able to follow the meaning of the words that others are using, mm-hmm. but in a purely informational, robotic kind of way. But to be fully human, to uh, have uh, a sense of the interior in mm-hmm. other people, much mm-hmm. as we have an awareness of our own interior, we must be empathic. Think about ants. Uh, ants uh, communicate with each other, certainly, but there's no evidence at all that they have much of a sense of the interior of each other. It would be a enormously lonely world if there were no empathy. So speaking of other animals, if ants do not have this capacity, but we seem to, where does empathy come from? Is there yeah. some kind of biological basis for it? In the brain, empathy is enabled by circuitry that has to do with Uh, tuning into the actions of others, tuning into the emotions of others, and tuning into the thoughts, broadly defined, states Mm -hmm. of mind of others. And uh, non-human animals can, to a pretty high extent, tune into the actions of each other, including to read the intentions of predators as well as prey, and, uh, of course, the intentions of others of their own species. So they can tune into actions in part through drawing on what are called mirror neurons Mm. or mirror-like networks, which are a way for the nervous system to very efficiently use some of the same neural machinery uh, to tune into the actions of others that we use to guide and direct our own actions. So Mm. for example, if if I reach for a cup, I'm going to use a bunch of neurons and so forth. But if I watch you reaching for a cup, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to draw upon some of the same neurons I draw upon to reach for a cup myself, which gives me a feeling from the inside out. Yeah, so the same systems that regulate our own behavior are what we use to tune into the experience of other people. Is that more or less yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Where humans have an advantage over non-human animals is our capacity to uh, have empathy for the emotions of others. Mm-hmm. That's really, really enabled by a part of the brain um, called the insula on the inside of the temporal lobes. And the human insula is built out much more extensively than any other uh, animal species in proportion roughly to the development of this hardware. We have more finely grained capacities for emotional empathy. And the um, other way in which we have empathy is we draw upon neural architecture behind the forehead uh, in the prefrontal regions that enable what's called theory of mind, the capacity to realize that other people can have uh, beliefs, uh, viewpoints, priorities, uh, and internal processes that are really, really different from your own. Interestingly, 
when a human infant is born, her capacity, let's say a little girl, to tune into the actions of others through these mirror-like neural networks, that's very established really Mm -hmm. early on. The capacity to be uh, aware of the emotions of others is rudimentarily present at birth, including through uh, things that are called emotional contagion. So interestingly, in a study, if you play the recorded sound of other infants crying, uh, a a little newborn will start crying sympathetically. Mm -hmm. But if you play back to her the sound of herself crying, she'll be startled and she won't have empathy for it Mm -hmm. because at some levels she, she knows it's her own. It's, it's odd to hear herself cry. But with time, we really do develop um, our capacity for emotional empathy. And definitely, like these theory of mind capabilities um, are, don't really come online till around the third or fourth birthday to really fully come online. And we keep developing as we, as we get older and as we become more and more able to really read the intentions of others and understand what their internal process is like. Mm. So there are kind of three different ways in which we can show empathy or have empathy for somebody else's experience. You have the mirror neurons dictating action effectively. Yeah, mirror-like networks, sure. technically. They're, they're more than specific neurons, but yeah, like these networks. Okay, yeah. great. So these yeah. networks inside the brain that allow us to kind of empathically feel somebody else's actions. The second way is in thought. Mm-hmm. that you were describing, and then the final way is an emotion, that kind yeah. of sympathetic empathy. Great. Yeah. So you're describing changes inside of the brain, mm-hmm. your you know, neural systems of various kinds. Yeah. Throughout all of these podcasts, we've really focused on changing the brain in order to develop different kinds of skills. Okay. So empathy is something where commonly, I think it's held of as a trait. Mm. You know, you're an empathic person. You are, quote unquote, an empath. And a yeah. lot of people really hold themselves up as, oh, yeah. you know, I'm just so empathic. And then there are some other people who possibly don't feel that they're so this way or more commonly are kind of put down by others as being, oh, you're not empathic enough, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. So, but what you're describing, because it's a neural trait, is something that we can change over time, correct? Yes, Yes, exactly. And um, as you know, traits have aspects of them that are innate. It's also true, as, as you well know, that we can acquire traits over time. So getting then at the question of, can we acquire the trait of empathy. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence for that in the research literature, Mm. but I'm not off the top of my head aware of any specific study on the training in in empathy, including its neural correlates. I will say that there are studies that show that as people tune more and more into their own bodies, Mm -hmm. as they become aware, especially of their uh, interior sensations, such as the coolness of air coming in, Mm. uh, or the interior sensations of joints moving, or the ribcage expanding or contracting as they breathe, they draw upon a part of the brain called the insula, which I just talked about. Mm -hmm. So interestingly, if you work the muscle of tuning into your internal body sensations, you actually build up structure, studies have shown, in the insula, and in proportion to or related to that buildup of structure in the insula based on tuning into your internal body sensations, Mm. you become more able to tune into the emotions of other people. That's very cool. And then last, there's obviously a lot of evidence from individuals that over time, they can become better at reading other people, reading the intentions of others. Think of uh, the effectiveness of sales training Mm -hmm. or... Uh, people who go through therapeutic training, learning how to be a therapist, whose foundation in many ways is empathy. 
And so there are many examples of people feeling more empathic mm-hmm. over time sure. and also demonstrating greater empathy. And that must be evidence of some change in the neural hardware that's the basis for the development or the acquisition of trait empathy. So you already gave one suggestion of a way to improve our ability to be empathic towards other people, and that was to develop the habit of going into our own interior and kind of sensing into our own experience. Are there any other ways that you would suggest to people who were, say, trying to develop more of a consistent sense of empathy inside of their lives and their relationships with others? Any other practices that they could do or, you know, things they could try on in order to develop that skill over time? I think there's some that are very down to earth and also really quite profound. Hmm. The first is to develop greater trait, sustained attention to other people, Hmm. Mm -hmm. where you remain receptively attentive to them, including tracking micro-expressions around the eyes and the corner of the mouth. We have the most expressive eyes of any species on the planet. Hmm. And even around the mouth, as Paul Ekman's research and that of others has shown, there are lots and lots of little signals based on micro-expressions that flicker by on a time scale of fractions of a second. And yet, if you're really paying attention, you can register really tiny indicators of what it feels like to be the other person deep down inside. So sustaining attention. I think that's really important. And we can really feel when the weight of another person's attention truly rests upon us. Hmm. It's almost like a hand resting on our shoulder. We feel the weight of it. We can really tell when they're sustaining attention to us, as I am with you right now. Mm -hmm. And if you think of it, that's one of the most profound gifts we can offer to another person, Mm -hmm. is to actually give them, I had a teacher at one point who used the expression, the bodily sacrifice of attention. There's something about that, including the deep roots of the word sacrifice as a sacred act, or some kind of real giving of ourselves attentively to the other person. To be clear, empathy does not equal agreement or approval or submission or a waiving of any of our own rights. And if you know that, then you can really afford to give yourself over to the other person in terms of your attention. Mm -hmm. A second thing that I think is really fundamental for empathy and strengthening the trait of empathy that I've, I've really worked with myself is to let yourself be affected by the other person. To have a cold, merely rational, almost metallic, accurate, logical understanding of what's happening in the other person, that's just the beginning of empathy. But to be truly empathic, we need to be able to be and willing to be moved by the other person. Mm. And that takes a real depth. So that goes back to a lot of the things we've talked about in this podcast. You, As you deepen your own keel in the water, as you build up more of that resilient core inside that feels stable, even when the waves of others come at you, then you can empathically open to them without losing your own footing. That's one reason why the previous um, podcast we did focused so much on autonomy and building up a sense of autonomy, a sense of me, as a foundation for opening into the we mm-hmm. of receiving the really the other person. You might look at your willingness to feel uh, that you don't know what you think yourself for a few moments mm-hmm. as you really receive what the other person has to say. Mm-hmm. What is it like to, as we use the language, I think in the book, resilient, cast loose from the familiar moorings 
of your own positions and enter into the choppy waters mm. of what other people think about things, which may not be so self-evident to you. That takes courage. And it's a really interesting journey to open to be really affected by the other person, including to the point that your own state of being in your body starts being uh, affected by the other person's state of being in their body. And that can be kind of alarming in the beginning if, and if you don't have that increasingly unshakable core inside yourself. What you're indicating here, I think, is another great way to develop empathy. Mm. And it's to step outside of your own perspective, which is sort of what you're indicating here. Yes. What I think you see a lot inside of conversations with people is the difference between trying to express a state versus trying to solve a problem. Yeah. And you see this all the time, where somebody comes to you, some mm. ephemeral you, with a complaint of some kind, ranging from, ah, oh, my body hurts today, to, I didn't like it how you did X. Yes. And certainly my tendency, when I hear somebody tell me, oh, my body hurts today, is to say, oh, take an Advil, or <laughs> oh, you should go get a chiropractic adjustment, <laughs> yeah. or oh, you know, I move right into problem solving, yeah. because that's my instinct. Right. My instinct is to problem solve. Much of the time, what that person is really looking for on mm. a deep level is actually not a solution. They're so looking for, so hey, true. I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. And that just level of empathic joining where you move from your perspective to seeing things from the other person's yeah. perspective is really fundamental to any kind of basic human communication. That's great. So well said. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. So when are you going to become a therapist? <laughs> maybe, maybe some distant point in the future. We'll see. If I'm, uh, if I'm willing to go through the many years of schooling. Another kind of example of that maybe is cultural perspective and uh -huh. cultural differences. That's, that's right. That's a really important one. Say more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just see the flattening of the world over time, and we're just bumping into people who have a different cultural background from us more often, Yes. whether that be significantly different. And if I just attack every interaction with that human that I might run into mm. as if they're operating from my cultural perspective, yeah. I'm probably going to get myself into hot water. Because they're operating from a different playbook than I am. Can you think of an example, Forrest, in which you were really uh, startled to recognize the viewpoint of another person oh. that was really different from your own? Well, all right. Or the I've... way in which something would land on yeah, them that you absolutely. just had no idea would mm -hmm. land on them that way. But mm -hmm. when you really took some moment to understand their kind of experience as someone quite different from you, then you could really get how it could land on them. So the first example that comes to mind for me is speaking to somebody who comes from a very different political viewpoint than I do. Mm -hmm. And understanding how some of the things that I kind of take for granted as being inherently obvious yeah. are not just not inherently obvious, but are actually morally objectionable, even evil on a certain mm -hmm. level to somebody who was raised in a different tradition. Yeah. And if you just kind of stick to your guns and attack from that perspective, it is extremely difficult to find anything resembling a middle ground, even if you agree with the other person on 80 to 90% of the content. The conclusions that you come to are radically different, and it is very difficult to join with. And at least for me personally, particularly as we continue to wander into an increasingly polarized society, hmm. it becomes more and more important to identify the 80% that we have agreement on mm -hmm. and trying to have empathy for that position even if I disagree with that. Mm -hmm. And that's where what you said earlier about empathy does not mean agreement yeah. is really important. Mm -hmm. Second example, much simpler, 
uh, the first time that I had a real kind of internal sense of um, white male privilege mm-hmm. was a real eye, eye opener for me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to kind of leave it at that because that's mm-hmm. a very large, complex topic. Yeah. But just having moments of realization and conversation with female friends who are like, no, I'm literally just afraid all the time when I'm walking around on the street. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I've literally never been afraid in my life. Yeah. Walking around on a populated street. I've just yeah. never felt that way. Yes. And that is a huge difference in perspective. Yeah. And one that really required me to kind of shift my viewpoint on some things that to me seemed very simple and easy. Those are two examples. Uh, third and final one, real quick. We traveled to Japan once. <laughs> and we uh, met with the publisher of one of your books in Japanese. And uh, we had a very hilarious lunch where you, I think it's fair to say, with all the kindness and well-meaningness in your heart, just kind of expressed how excited you were at having this book published there and how you were really looking forward to all of these great things that were going to come of it and how the book historically has done pretty well in, in various regions around Japan and all of this good stuff. And I'm by no means a scholar of Japanese or anything like that, but I have a little bit of a background in the language, and I could just kind of slowly see the person we were talking to just kind of wilting across the table. Mm -hmm. And this didn't make any sense in a Western perspective, but from their perspective, that conversation was putting a lot of pressure on them to perform, you know? And it's one of those things where it was such an easy thing, and literally anyone would have walked into that from walking in from from the United States mm-hmm. and particularly from kind of the casual West Coast California culture. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm and oh yeah, it's gonna be oh, great. Oh, it'll be great, man. Yeah, it'll be really good. I'm really, <laughs> really looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, I know. I remember you watching me just and everything I did based on my assumption mm-hmm. set made yeah. it worse. Everything, the, every action that tried to repair yep. just kind of dug the hole a oh, little bit deeper. And, and it was one of those just classic moments where you sort of watch yourself and you just see it all falling apart around you. But again, it wasn't that there was a lack of empathy there. It's just one example of the way in which there was there's a difference in cultural context yeah. that can radically affect the way that yeah. a conversation is perceived. Yeah, that's so. right. So anyway, those are some reasons why empathy is particularly important these days, maybe even more so than it's been in our past. Given that that's the case, what are some of the ways that we can use empathy in interactions with others or some of the tools we can bring out to become more empathic while an interaction is going on? Mm, Real-time empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, building on the things we've talked about, which include growing a greater sense of autonomy inside yourself. And then in the moment, sustaining attention to the other person uh, and staying on their topic rather than pulling it away into your topic, uh, for example, as well as tracking micro-expressions. Those are all things you can do in the moment. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, some research suggests that as you remain aware of your own interior, especially your gut feelings or your heart area, you're going to be more able in the moment to receive the other person. Additionally, one thing that I've really seen it really helps a lot with empathy is to slow it down. Mm. They say something, pause Mm -hmm. to really let it land. And if you don't get it, take a moment to get it. I I don't think I've ever been with anyone ever who was not polite and actually grateful uh, if they heard me say, I'm I'm sorry. I, I really want to understand that. I didn't quite get it. 
Mm, Could mm -hmm. you say it again? Or do you mean this? Or I'm just, before we move on, I'm really just taking a moment here to want to let this land. Wow. People are blown away Mm -hmm. when you do that. I think, just like you said earlier, we're so used to being partially understood by other people who often really couldn't be bothered to be moved by us. Mm. And so we often in life ourselves don't have the experience, as Dan Siegel puts it, of feeling felt. Mm. Flip it around, that's what other people are feeling too. Mm -hmm. That's their backlog. So if you slow it down to actually give them the extra 10 seconds Mm -hmm. uh, to feel them, which then gives them the opportunity to feel felt, people, in my experience, are often just really blown away by that. And even if you're at odds with them on the substance of some issue about something, Mm -hmm. the fact that you are willing to enter into an an I-thou relationship, in effect, in the moment, so that you are making them a thou to your eye to the extent that you're willing to to feel them and to be moved by them, that really affects other people. And they tend to be a lot more gracious. Obviously, if you use your powers for evil, that's not good. If you know this and then use it to trick people. And <laughs> sure. Some people are seductive with empathy mm. and it's part of a larger seduction or selling or manipulation of some kind. So we're not talking about that, obviously. And to be careful about that. That's another thing that's really important. When you gather information through empathic receptivity, it's kind of sacred information. Other people will tend to be more open and vulnerable than they might otherwise be. Mm. And then, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, don't misuse the information you got. Be especially careful about that. Otherwise, that other person is really going to lift the drawbridge up and and -hmm. is not going to be so willing to be revealed next time. I think one more thing you can do in the moment that uh, is really an interesting thing. So there you are listening to the other person. And to kind of give a sort of example, this other person is explaining why they were irritated or bothered by something you did. Mm. And by the way, it's it's especially challenging to be empathic when another person is upset with you. Mm. So that's Mm -hmm. interesting. That's actually really uh, important to be empathic with because that's when we most need to be empathic. That's when our empathy for them uh, who are upset with us and accusatory toward us mm-hmm. is going to have the most impact on kind of calming them down in an appropriate sense. And yet it's the hardest to do mm-hmm. when you're on the receiving end of some kind of critique, right? So in those moments, I find what's really helpful is to just to slow it down and to imagine inside your own mind, almost like you go into a little, like a theater inside your own mind, and you run the little movie of, if I were them, what would be really bothering me way down deep is what? Is what? So it's almost like you're running an experiment inside your own mind as if you were that other person. And then often based on that experiment, you'll form a hypothesis of sorts about what's really going on with them. And then you can say back to them, whoa, I got it. Like what was really at stake here for you? You didn't feel respected by me. huh? Mm-hmm. Or you felt pushed around by me. Mm -hmm. Or you felt that I just blew right by this thing you said. And given your history of male authority figures blowing right by things you say, when I did it, that one really moved your needle, right? And, And then you see what the other person has to say. It's not that you're presuming necessarily what's happening on them. 
it's more like you're kind of running an experiment inside your own simulator in in the neural networks, literally in the midline in which we kind of uh, run little mini movies or try on different thought experiments. Sure. And then we check in with the other person. And then based on the hypothesis formation and then testing, we refine our understanding of other people. So what's the what's the line between that kind of empathic sensing and sort of playing the psychologist for for lack of a better way of putting it? Yeah. Because of course you don't necessarily want to um, quote unquote psychologize someone mm-hmm. when you're just kind of in interaction with them, um, but it can be useful and helpful to help identify some deeper something that lies underneath the communication, whether, as you were saying, that be a respect issue or something else. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think your point is really important because I've been in environments that are more psychologically oriented, mindfulness people, human potential settings, where it became a subtle power play. Yeah, totally. To to move to the empathic stance of, I understand you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm the one who, and I'm going to help you understand mm-hmm. yourself better because gosh, I understand you better than you understand yourself. Oh, is that aggravating to be on the receiving end? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, where that kind of sense of um, guruization of empathy or kind of excessive, oh, you'll figure it out someday, but I'm just so in touch with myself that, you know, once you're on my level, you'll get it. Yeah, superiority. Yeah, that's very, that is a... That that is a red flag raiser for right, me of right the there. absolute highest order. Yeah. Um. So I'm just sort of wondering what's the line, as you're saying, between positive sensing, positive, empathic experiencing, and yeah. tipping into that sort of more negative power dynamic. I think it's a huge topic, and it's one I've had to grapple with because, well, so as a clinical psychologist yeah. in your personal relationships with people, I would imagine that could be a, a tricky balance. Yeah, I have to be a little care. I have to be pretty careful. So, a couple things. One, what's your intent? Mm-hmm. Is your intent to create some kind of benefit here? What's your intent? And I want to be actually step back a moment. Empathy need not be expressed. Mm. There are many situations actually where it we are empathic for the other person. We're forming a very accurate perception into what's really going on with them, and it's not appropriate for us to share it. Hmm. Maybe because that person's an adversary, and the point at hand is not about expressing empathy. It's about getting, whoa, what their true deep intentions are. Or, for example, that actually for them in the moment, they're not acting in good faith. Hmm. They're saying things, but Hmm. they're not in good faith. And through empathic imagination, We're recognizing that, Mm. which makes the point that empathy is neutral. Empathy is neutral. It doesn't mean that you um, have to like the other person or have to use your empathy to to support the other person. Maybe for good reason. You're really forming a clear sense of what's really going on in the bottom line with the other person and their true intentions regarding you. And you're forming that clarity strictly for your own self-interest. Mm. And you have the right to do that uh, inside the larger frame of your own morality and virtue and so forth. So my point about all that is that being clear about your intent is important. A second thing is tone. Because if you think of it, immediately when another person's expressing empathy, it's a yellow flag. Because what if they're wrong? Mm. Then you're open to being misunderstood 
You're also, I think, when other people express empathy, uh, it starts verging into they're the knower of your interior. It starts moving into a kind of dominance possibility. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a stakes raiser to a certain extent. Yeah, and so I, I find for myself it's very appropriate to have a tone that's diffident, that's inquiring. It's not certain. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, for example, doesn't say things like, wow, you really seem angry. Sure. Right? Yeah. It's more like, uh, like what's going on? And, yeah. And not like accusatory, what's wrong with you? But sure. um, with a with a humility. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's a place I think for deliberately going one down mm. with the other person. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, where you say things like, "I think I'm just not getting it here. I, I, I'm. I think you're being mm-hmm. clear, but I'm not really understanding. Are you saying?" X or Y? Sorry, I I just don't quite get it yet. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a humility in the tone, and that that's authentic. You're not faking it, and then that makes more room for the other person. I think what you're suggesting here is that empathy is a real place for I statements, for mm. lack of a better way of putting yeah. it, to kind of put it as simply as possible, and to authentically communicate when you haven't been able to find empathy yet. To your point at the end there yeah. about if you're in a point with an interaction with another person and you're not sure why they're coming at you, it's reasonable to ask that question and to pose that question in a open and empathic way where it's, wow, I I really hear you and I really want to understand what you're trying to tell me in this moment Mm. and I'm just having a tricky time kind of grokking it. So would you mind explaining to me if it is more X or more Y? You know, with those being kind of uh, more emotionally laden terms, is it that you're angry at me right now because of X, or is it that I hurt your feelings because of Y? Yeah. Drawing a differentiation like that, I think that, that can be kind of a nice way to approach that sort of emotional sensing from a position of a question asker rather than a knower. That's great. And yeah, that yeah. core distinction, I think, really um, gets us out of hot water with that kind of excessive therapizing that mm-hmm. you occasionally can see people fall into. Yep, that's great. Well said. Any final thoughts? There's some really interesting paradoxes in empathy in that as you get to know other people more and more deeply, you're struck both by how different they are from you mm-hmm. and you're struck as well by universals. So there's a growing sense of both differentiation, that others are different, and a sense of commonality, common humanity. Mm. And that's kind of paradoxical. Another thing that happens is that I think in each of us is a kind of existential sense of isolation, because the truth is we are radically distinct from each other. We can't exchange experiential states. Mm. The best we can do is imagine the experiential state of another person. So what's happening, for example, Forrest, in your interior right now is being in uh, in a very limited and throttled down and simplified way broadcast by your face, your tone of voice, and your words. So to use a bit of a metaphor related to some of the things we're doing, it's as if internally you're, you've got a 1080p, uh, high def, full technicolor movie going on, and yet it's being transmitted through a very ancient 220-something or other pixels per hour sender or something, <laughs> right? And, and then 
it comes to me. And then what I do is I try to turn it back into the full living color. But that's the best we can do. And so we we really do have a a kind of existential uh, individuality in this isolation on the one hand. And on the other hand, our capacity, which is really quite profound as humans, to feel touched by others, to feel in touch with others, is a way to break through that existential isolation. And for me in my own journey, from being a very not naturally empathic person as a kid to what I do these days, which I do feel very empathic, um, particularly when I want to be, I can tell you from my own personal journey that empathy is highly acquirable. It's highly trainable if you have the intention to do it. And wow, it's extraordinary. I love empathy. I think that's a great note to conclude Mm -hmm. the episode on. So that brings our episode on empathy to a close. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and subscribe to the podcast through the platform of your choice. It helps other people find it, and we really do appreciate it. So today we talked about empathy. We began by defining empathy and looking at the ways in which it helps us in interaction with other people, and also just some of the benefits that it brings to us as individuals. We looked at some ways to develop the trait of empathy over time. We took a little bit of a detour into the importance of cultural competency, into the idea that one of the real things that empathy gives us in our modern world is the ability to experience more fully people who come from very different backgrounds than our own and how increasing that cultural skill of empathy, whether that be with somebody from another political background, another gender, or another nationality, really improves our ability to function as people in the world. Finally, we talked about empathy kind of on the go and in the moment in an interaction with other people. That got us into, I think, a very useful conversation about excessive therapizing, which you see people do sometimes, and how empathy can, if used sort of improperly, wander into a bit of a power expression with somebody else, where the value of an empathic communication becomes lost because it starts to get bogged down in all of this other tricky stuff with another person. We hope you'll join us again next week when we continue the strength of intimacy with an episode dedicated to warming the heart. Until then, thanks for listening. 